Hello and welcome to The Huddle, brought to you by Wilson, au.wilson.com, the official ball of the NBL. And uh, today, we've got Jonathan Gavoni, at Draft Express on Twitter, ESPN's top NBA draft analyst, and uh, a guy who understands the process of getting drafted into the NBA. So we talked to him about the breaking news with Kai Soto signing with the Adelaide 36ers, what this young Filipino kid can do and what he might be able to become. Uh, we chat about Josh Giddy uh, at length. He's got him at 14 inside the lottery in his latest uh, mock draft for the upcoming draft. So we talk about his skill set, what NBA teams are seeing and saying about that young kid and uh, what impresses so much about him. Um, we talk about Mojave King, um, his roller coaster ride of a season in Cairns, and uh, where Jonathan has him sitting right now ahead of this, or perhaps the up uh, the 2022 draft. Uh, we talk about Didi Luzada getting called up to the New Orleans Pelicans. Why a guy like Didi gets an NBA shot and not others who are tearing up this league, like Bryce Cotton and Tyler Harvey, these type of dudes. Um, and we talk about some others as well, Justinian Jessup. Here's NBA prospects, Dyson Daniels, potential next star for next season, young Aussie from Bendigo, who is doing tremendous things right now. And also, uh, which other guys around the league, imports or maybe young locals who Jonathan thinks might be able to make the jump, get a maybe a summer league shot later this year and get some NBA looks. So it's a really interesting conversation. He is at the cutting edge of these types of evaluations. So sit back, relax. Up next, Jonathan Gibbon. All right, Jonathan is with me at Draft Express on Twitter and ESPN's top NBA draft analyst. Mate, uh, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Good to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you holding up? I'm doing great. No complaints here. I'm here in Brooklyn with my family. We're we're having a great time. Let's start with the with the big news of the day. The breaking news from the Adelaide 36ers earlier um, today about Kai Soto, the 18-year-old, seven foot two Filipino that they've signed to a two plus one deal, um, setting in at the end of this season as a special restricted player. Um, for 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 God, people that haven't um, had much to do with him or seen much of him in, in action, what are your impressions of him as a prospect? Well, he's really big and he's really skilled. Uh, I mean, he's been on the radar for quite some time now. I think the first time I saw him was at the under-17 FIBA World Championship in Argentina, um, you know, going up against guys like Killian Hayes and RJ Hampton, um, Teo Maladon. I mean, it was it was a pretty loaded group out there. Uh, he, um, I mean, it's a shame how the season worked out for him. You know, with the leaving to join his national team um, for the FIBA window. You know, right before the the G League um, bubble, and then the whole thing got canceled. There was some COVID cases or something, and so he he basically it was a wash for him. He he wasn't seen there. He couldn't come back to the G League bubble because he would have had to quarantine for two weeks. So that would have been a waste of time. And, you know, all the only exposure we got really were a handful of scrimmages 
where you know everybody on the Ignite team really struggled. At that point, it looked like they were going to have a, a pretty ugly season. People were wondering, are they going to win a single game? And so that's really the only exposure that NBA teams have had to him. But 7-2, can shoot the three, um, you know, knows how to play, fairly mobile. You know, like a lot of big guys in this day and age is, you know, he's going to have to modernize his game. You know, the defensive side of the ball is always going to be a question mark. But, um, you know, he's, he's young and he's skilled and he's, he's got, you know, he's going to be an exciting guy for people to follow in the NBA, I think. Do, do you like it as a move for him? Because, you know, he would have had some options, maybe the overtime elite league or, or other um, options around the world. Do you like this as a decision from him? I think from a de- development standpoint, it's phenomenal for him. I mean, it's, it's going to be challenging. Uh, you know, he's going to be tested every single night. It's a very physical league, the NBL. He's not the most physical player. But um, in terms of addressing the things that he needs to work on, I think this is going to be a, a great step for him. Um, you know, if he can, he's going to be able to get on the court and, you know, and, and show people really what he's all about because NBA teams, they follow the NBL. I mean, it's, and so everybody will be keeping tabs on what he's doing out there. As someone who's kind of watched him over the last few years, um, I think the fans of these clubs here, when they get a signing of, of these young type of guys, you know, whether it's a, a Mo King or a Josh Giddy or a Justinian Jessup, um, or in this case, this guy, they, they, their immediate thought is, well, is he going to help our team? Is he going to help us win? Like Jessup is, is doing right now for the Hawks. Uh, do you see him at any point being that kind of guy for the 36ers? I think it's going to be a transition for him. I think he'll have some challenges. Um, on the defensive end, especially, it's a very unforgiving league, the NBL, especially at that center position. And so, you know, just things like covering ground and space, defending pick and roll, um, you know, it's a, all the bigs are very physical. You'll be going up against, you know, Colton Iverson and, you know, John Mooney and, you know, Cam Oliver. I mean, you know, these guys all are going to present unique challenges for him. You know, any player that age, I think, is going to have a, a transition, especially a guy like that who just hasn't played very much professional basketball. But I do think that he's talented enough to – to overcome that and, you know, and emerge as a contributor as the season moves along. I think he's going to score, you know, um, but I mean, I, I think a guy like, like Harry Frawling, you know, that might be like a comparison, you know, like that's the type of player that I think Adelaide fans can expect to get like a younger version of him. And there's some question right now about when he's going to be eligible for the draft, right? I mean, the expectation was that he was going to be draft eligible this year. I understand there's, the, the NBA is potentially looking at whether or not he might be able to become draft eligible for years in the future. Obviously, depending on how that works out, I mean, is this a guy that you expect to be a strong part of a, of a draft process at some stage and, and get looked at by NBA teams and GMs? I mean, that would be very fortunate for him if they allowed him to not be in this year's draft because people just haven't seen enough from him right now to draft him. I mean, there's nothing to go off of. And, you know, seven, two centers, they're pretty obsolete, you know, like unless you're a freak athlete or you're an incredible passer, um, it's just hard to play in the NBA right now. And so having a full year under his belt um, in Adelaide, 
Uh, I think that would at least put him on the radar or give him a chance to get drafted. I mean, I, I don't think he'd be a lock to, but I think that he's a, he'd be a candidate to be picked. Well, from, from a guy who might become a candidate to a guy who is well and truly locked in to get drafted this year, it's just a matter of when, it's, is Josh Giddy. Um, your latest mock has him at, at 14 in the upcoming draft, ranked 13, I think, in your top 100 prospects. That's up from 21 in February and 48 last December. But what have been your impressions of him and his journey throughout this season? It's been extraordinary. I don't know that anybody could ex- have anticipated it, him making it look as easy as he has. Mm. You know, I mean, just almost from day one, too. I mean, uh, just the, the, I mean, we knew his basketball IQ was high, but, um, you know, I was watching some film of him from the, the Basketball Without Borders camp in Chicago, which was 14 months ago. He's like a different guy physically now. He's he's grown. He's filled out. He's done a great job with his body. He looks a lot more athletic now. You know, even defensively, which is where you know some of his biggest challenges are going to come. I mean, he's just so smart and he's so instinctual that he finds a way to make plays. He's a great rebounder, and you know the NBA game. I mean, people used to say it's all about athleticism. I think most coaches would tell you now it's all about skill and feel and he has that in spades i mean he's one of the smartest players in this draft and so being a six foot eight six nine point guard who can make every pass and you know just sees the game uh, faster than anybody else in the court that's going to give him a real chance to be you know not only an nba player but a, a difference maker potentially you know if the shooting improves and you know he, he obviously needs to be in the right situation. He's um, he's not a guy that you want, like, you know, putting him in the corner or anything. So whoever drafts him, I think, needs to understand that this guy is at, at his best with the ball in his hands. And, you know, that's a, that's a high bar, you know, because the NBA is so stacked at the point guard position. And so almost any team he goes on to, there's going to be someone there already. So, but the good thing about him is that he's so big, he's so versatile, he's so unselfish. He's going to be an easy guy to play with. I mean, people are just going to like um, having him on the floor because he's just going to make the game so easy for everybody else. What were the um, the key moments so far this season that kind of stood out to you in terms of um, uh, evaluating him? Because like for me, you talked about right out of the gate, I think it was maybe his second game of the season was the double OT game against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. And he, he comes crashing down on his head uh, yeah. Late in that game, he goes off, he gets thrown back out there, has an enormous few plays down the stretch in overtime to get his team over the line, including that beautiful pirouette in the post around Cam Glidden. That was, for me, was a huge moment, a big tick of saying, you know, how tough this kid is and how much he loves the game and wants to compete. And then there's been some other moments later in the season where he's he shot the three ball really well. And he's kind of answered that big question and and forced teams to kind of show him a little bit more respect. He, he's taken some big leaps. You know, like I said, he was a mid, mid to late second rounder in your mocks before the season started. Now he's right there at the at the edge of the lottery. What have been kind of the big moments throughout the season that have impressed you about him? Yeah, definitely that Southeast Melbourne game stands out. Like you said, the, the toughness. There, there are not a lot of NBA players who would take that hit um, 
and get up and go right back into the game. And so I think that told us something about him character-wise that, you know, kind of people maybe weren't, I mean, people, everybody knows that Aussies are tough, but just to see that in a game, you know, um, I think that was, that was really impressive. Um, you know, it's been, it's been like a slow buildup, you know, like he's been good throughout the season. I mean, obviously the, the month of March was phenomenal. He had that, you know, that great game against Brisbane. I think it was 19 points, 11 assists. Um, he had that game um, at Perth, you know, with the 14 points, eight rebounds, 13 assists. That was obviously very impressive. Uh, but um, even in his bad games, he shows you a lot. You know, I man, I just watched the, the Cannes game from last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost, you know, he struggled, you know, to, to finish, struggled with his shot. Uh, but the passing, you know, like it's, it's always there. Um, and so, you know, the rebounding is always there. And, and that's encouraging, you know, that you find a way to contribute, you know, when your shot isn't falling. And so, you know, I think, um, I think he's in a great situation. You know, the fact that, you know, Donald Sloan got up and left, you know, like that was huge for him. And they just, they put the ball in his hands and they, they, they said, we're going to ride you, you know, this is going to be all about you. And, and, and not every team would do that. And so um, I think this is, you know, this has been a great development year for him and it's been a great exposure year for him too. Is he benefiting right now from what Lamello did in this league last season? Yeah, absolutely. Because NBA teams, I think they didn't quite know how to evaluate the season that Lamello had, how impressive it was. You know, you heard some people in the media and even among scouts say like, well, the NBA wasn't that good. So what? He had a couple of triple doubles. It's not a big, you know, like he's playing against nobody. You know, obviously we knew that that wasn't the case. I mean, I um, flew out there. I was at the NBL Blitz. I was in Tasmania. Um, Mike Schmitz was out there for a week or so. Uh, I mean, I followed the NBL for more than a decade now. I've been to Australia five or six times. I've been to New Zealand three or four times. So it's hard actually to know what this league is if you're not there on the ground watching it. You know, you don't see how big the guys are, how fast the game is played, how well the, 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 the guys are coached. And so people, NBA guys, I think the struggle is that LaMelo uh, got hurt so early. And so like before they even realized what was going on, he was out of commission and they weren't able to see him. And I think Obviously, that's on them. They should have been out there at the NBL Blitz. They should have, you know, been there front and center from the start. But it's it's a long trip, and I mean, everybody had excuses, you know, oh his dad and all this. You know, there's a, there's kind of this built-in narrative that he was fighting through the whole pre-draft process, which we know now is obviously nonsense. And that was, I mean, we wrote that it's nonsense, you know, like in September of 2020 already. But um, I think that's where Lamelo was fighting against and now you know Josh is gonna is really benefiting from that because people are saying not only does what LaMelo did in the NBL translate um, it's a tough league like he struggled out there and it's actually easier for him to an extent in the NBA because there's so much more space and um, you know there's shooting everywhere I mean he he, the, he, he really, the situation in Lawara really didn't do him any favors because this is a guy that 
he makes other people better, you know, and there just weren't a lot of guys to make better on that team, you know? So um, I think, yeah, I think the numbers that Josh is putting up are, are eye popping. They're not quite LaMelo-esque, but they're not that far off either. You know, I think LaMelo was a better scorer, probably at the same age, but I mean, the passing is, you know, is comparable. So, um, and they're both big point guards, you know, they both, you know, aren't the greatest defenders ever. They're both insanely young for their class. And so, yeah, I think there's some real comparisons there to be made. I don't think Josh Giddy is going to be LaMelo Ball, but, you know, if he's the 13th pick in the draft instead of the third, that's, that's pretty good too. Mm. Um, what kind of impression are you getting from NBA scouts and GMs in terms of um, his, his potential ceiling? In this draft, as I noted you've, you've, you've got him at 14 right now, but in your write up, you, you talked about how the um, you know, for the range from kind of six to 20 right now, people have a lot of question marks about that. Is there still room, do you think, for Josh to continue to impress throughout the last part of this season and potentially move up from, from where you've currently got him? I do, yeah. I think every guy the top five for me is pretty locked in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, um, Jalen Green, and Jonathan Kaminga, after that, all bets are off. It's really, it's wide open. And every single one of those guys, you could nitpick in a pretty serious way and say, well, I like this about Keon Johnson, but here are three reasons that not to like him, you know, and you can go down the list with Jalen Johnson and um, every single one of these dudes. Um, so, uh, I think that there might be, you know, it, it's really going to depend on who's picking where, um, you know, not every team needs a point guard. Not every team is comfortable with international players, you know, mm-hmm. um, not every team, you know, is on the same timeline, you know, as, as others. And so um, I could see a team with multiple picks really liking him, you know, but uh, I don't, I think the biggest challenge you'll have to overcome is that uh, people just haven't been able to see him live. Mm. You know, Um, the two week quarantine getting into Australia is pretty much a deal breaker for NBA executives. They say, well, you know, it takes me two days over there and two days to get back and then two week quarantine. That's already 18 days. And so I have to probably spend a week just to justify the trip. And then that's a whole month of my life. You know, that's just like, as much as we all love Josh Kitty, like nobody is going to give a month of their life to him. You know, we all have families, there's other things going on, you know? So, um, so the question is, you know, what kind of pre-draft process does he have? I could see him coming here to the States, doing workouts, having a pro day. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I'm sure that he's going to have opportunities to be seen and that could help him a lot too. You know, I mean, just, just being in front of NBA guys, being seen, um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why LaMelo went third and not one was um, those teams at one and two, Minnesota and Golden State, they didn't see him, you know. And mm. so um, it's just um, and uh, and Charlotte did, you know, I mean, Mitch um, um, Kupchak was he was out there. He was he spent a lot of time. He spent like 10 days in Australia. He was at a bunch of games. And so he was really comfortable with LaMelo Ball as a prospect where the Timberwolves and Golden State obviously weren't. Mm. It's it's funny to think about what kind of impact that has on on these teams and how they pick because you know sometimes you see a situation like for example Dante Exum 
where teams didn't see him and then they had FOMO and, you know, he, he went really early. What was it? Number five in that yeah. draft. And then you have other situations like, like Giannis, for example, where teams have all that hesitation to go there because, you know, they haven't, they haven't seen as much as they would have liked. Or you say here that there might be some hesitation from teams with regards to, to Josh in that regard. I mean, is it, does that just depend on, on who's involved at particular teams or is there a general feeling now amongst teams of, you know, if we haven't seen them live, let's slide them down our board a little bit. Well, I think he's not the only one that they're not, that they haven't seen live. You know, I'd say about 75% of the NBA, none of their this top level decision makers made it anywhere, even for college games before the month of March. Right. So how many of these guys did they see live? And if it was one game, maybe two games, what game did they catch them on? You know, so it's not just Josh who's in the situation. It's really everybody, you know? And so I think that'll help him. The fact that he did not shy away from, he played BWB in Chicago. He was in Las Vegas at the, um, I saw him at the Tarkanian Classic. I also saw him at the NBA Academy Showcase, which was during the G League Showcase. Um, he was everywhere. I think I saw him at the NCAA Final Four one year. Um, I saw him in Barcelona at La Hospitalet. So he was visible, you know, if you were doing your work. Um, so, I, you know, I think that it's not like a deal breaker by any means. And like mm -hmm. I said, he it's going to be easy for him to just get on a plane. You know, the season will be over like first week of June. They're probably not, not going to make the playoffs, you know, unless they make some crazy run. And so he's got six weeks to do some pre-draft training, do workouts, um, you know, and, and he'll be fine. You know, like people will see him and he'll, he'll look good in workouts because he's going to be huge. And, you know, in a work, I think in a workout, he's going to make shots, you know, and so, and he's going to interview well, and he's got a great background. So I think the pre-draft process will help him a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. um, another next star in the news this week, Didi Luzada called up by the New Orleans Pelicans from the Sydney Kings. He was kind of like the first one of, these new type of next stars um, of guys who are draft and stash um, type of dudes. Did it take you by surprise that he got the call up for the last part of this season? I mean, a little bit, but then after reading why and, and how, I mean, I think it makes sense, you know, with their luxury tax situation and all the injuries they have and they've always loved them. You know, there's a reason why they drafted him where they did and he's helped himself with the way he's played when he was healthy. So uh, I, I, I guess they look at it as like, why call up a guy from the G League or whatever and when we can go and just get our guy reps, you know, and develop our own player. They are, they've always been invested in him. Um, they hired a guy to live in Australia and go to every game. So um, yeah, I think that, I mean, with that in mind, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think this is a good chance for NBL fans to get some insight um, from, from you as an experienced talent evaluator and, and a guy who understands the NBA system and how these GMs and executives think about, you know, a lot of fans, I think, watch the NBL. They watch what happens here with Didi. They see a guy who's averaging nine points per game, shooting 26% from threes, a three and D guy 
who is very streaky from long range. And then they look around the rest of the league and they go, he's nowhere near the best player in the NBL. You know, they see Bryce Cotton, what he's done for a period of time and Casper Ware. They see what Tyler Harvey's doing in Illawarra. And yet they see Diddy Luzada going over, getting the logo put on his chest and get this uh, incredible NBA opportunity. Can you explain to them why it works out that a guy like Diddy's going to get that opportunity? A guy like Justinian Jessup is right in that window right now. And these other guys like Casper Ware and Bryce Cotton are not. Yeah, I mean, you just have to look at age and, you know, development curves that players are on, which is, you know, that's another reason why it's so impressive what Josh Giddy is doing, you know, as a young 18-year-old, you know, because it's just, it's not easy to play professional basketball when you're that age or even when you're Diddy's age, you know, I mean, in your early 20s. And so, yeah, I mean, pass for wear and, you know, dropped 40 in his last game and Bryce Cotton, I mean, he played in the NBA. He was a high-level yearly player. I mean, he's the best player in the NBL, but he can, he can for sure play in the NBA. I mean, there's no question in my mind. It's just a matter of opportunity and timing and just being in the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I, I just think it's a matter of like age too. And I think, I think some of it is, it's not New Orleans saying this is the best player in the NBL. This is the guy that can help us the most right now. They say, well, this is a guy that we drafted and we've invested, um, you know, some, a lot of time thinking about and, I played on our summer league team and let's see what we have here with him. You know, there's, you know, a month left in the season or whatever it is and we'll throw him out there and see what we have, you know? So um, I think in that regard, I think it, it makes more sense if you think about it that way. You talk about how tough this league is to play in um, as a young guy. Um, that's a good segue into Mojave King because it's been a roller coaster ride of a season for him up there in far north Queensland. Has been playing much better over recent times, getting more opportunities, doing more of the little things that Mike Kelly wants to see because Mike Kelly's trying to win games and, um, and, and he's seeing a bit more of that from Mojave King. And then as a result, he's starting to be able to show some more of what makes him an exciting prospect. His three-point shooting and his athleticism and the like. But what have been your impressions of his tumultuous season to this point. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, it shows you how tough the NBL is, you know? And I think we all, and to an extent, me too, we put these guys on too fast of, of like a, it's like a treadmill when we put them on. We say like, you better be able to sprint at, at full speed. And if you don't make it, in your first season as an 18 year old, you're a bust, you know? And that's like, it's not fair because there's a lot of guys in the NBA who, who didn't get drafted in the first year that they were eligible for the draft. You know, you talk about like a guy like Rudy Gobert, he played at the under 20 European championship. He wasn't very good. You know, he's 21 when he gets the NBA. Christoph Porzingis, he didn't, he skipped his first year of the draft. So, you know, we all look at like the phenoms, like the Luka Doncic and the Giannis's who, you know, they came as soon as they could, but there are a ton of guys, you know, like, I mean, Steph Curry, you know, like he, he played four years in college, you know, I mean, Damian Lillard played four years in college. So, I mean, like, I don't think every guy 
should be running their own race. And mm. so it's obviously, you know, I mean, I've watched a lot of Mojave's games and it's been good to see him play better lately. I, I watched that, um, you know, that Adelaide Cairns game from last week and probably his best game of the season, you know, mm. finally, you know, made a couple of shots, you know, got on the offensive glass, made a couple of defensive plays, um, you know, but and, I mean, I just think that uh, why he struggled with it's, you know, I mean, little things that young players struggle with, like um, where to be on defense, um, you know, uh, awareness stuff. Um, his ball handling isn't great. He's not the most consistent shooter. Um, you know, he's not a guy that you throw the ball to. You say, go get me a basket, you know. Um, but, you know, we're seeing a little bit more now of him, you know, looking comfortable shooting off screens. And um, he's very good in the open court. Uh, but, you know, when we're evaluating international prospects, we always think about, you know, how does this, how is this international player different than what we have here in college? You know, how, in what way is he, is he superior? And, you know, the answer is obvious with Giddy. You know, he's got incredible size, incredible basketball IQ. I'm not sure what separates Mojave King from our best college players. You know, I mean, he's, he's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. He's a, he's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter. Um, he's not a very good ball handler. He's got a nice body, so he can defend a little bit one-on-one. -on -one. He's not very good off the ball. Um, you know, so he's going to have to become a very productive player first to, to be really interesting for the NBA, you know? And I think that's fine. I mean, he's 18. You know, a lot of these guys, it just it takes them, takes them a while, you know? So there's no rush. And um, I think that – I think – I don't know what it is about, you know – NBL fans or media or whatever, but like I think everybody was just expecting way too much, like too early from him. Um, you've you dropped your first, is it your first 2022 mock draft overnight? Yeah. Well, overnight Australian time, and you, you had him slotted in there, I think maybe in the second round somewhere. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that there, you know, he, he and his um, reps are kind of still deciding about whether they will roll into this draft or, or hold him back for that one do you, yeah. i am i assume your expectation is that that's the decision that they'll eventually make and and that you think that that would be the best way to play it well you can be a part of three nba drafts you know you can enter withdraw enter withdraw and the, the third time you enter you're in for good or that's your auto eligible year so if he wants to test the waters and see what people are talking about He's, that's well within his right. A lot of guys do that, you know, so that wouldn't shock me. I just don't think he'll love what he's hearing. You know, I mean, he's just, he's not having a very good year. You know, he's, he's shooting 29% for three and 43% for two. And, you know, he's got more turnovers and assists. And I mean, there's just been a lot of ugly games, but he, there's six, seven weeks left of the season here. So maybe he can get on a little bit of a hot streak here, you know, like, and maybe get going. I mean, he started a game last week and he gave them some good minutes and, and they won. But then the next game, it was back to like the same thing, you know, like just, which is normal, you know, like this is why the trajectory of a young player. Mm. So, um, yeah, I could, uh, to me, like, you know, he's probably like a future guy, but if he enters the draft, I mean, that wouldn't be a shock either. Mm. And you, I mean, you also, you saw him prior to this NBA, NBL experience as well, right? At the NBA Global Academy showcase events, those types of things where, where he really impressed. So I imagine you're, 
I mean, he's starting from a high point in terms of um, the impressions he's given as a prospect. So you, I, I'm getting the feeling that you feel it's been a rough year, but there's, you know, that's, that's not to be totally unexpected for a situation like that, for a young kid in a tough league like this. So, you know, there's still room for him to, to get to where he wants to go. Yeah, there's definitely more for him to show that we've seen in the past. You know, mm. I think back to, you know, that tournament I was at in Barcelona uh, in January of 2020. I mean, he shot it really, really well there. And he did a great job of playing off Josh Giddy. It was funny, like, you know, the, the chatter after was, the NBA Academy is pushing Josh Giddy too hard and Mojave is a point guard. He should have the ball. And obviously we know that that's not true now, you know I mean? So they, they pushed each guy as much as they should have been pushed. But I think that um, there's definitely more there for him to show. Um, you know, I thought Giddy's decision to go play basketball without borders, you know, in Chicago at All-Star Weekend, February of 2020 was a great decision. Mo decided to skip that. I guess he thought he was going to play Hoop Summit, which was unfortunately canceled. So I think that set him back too, because NBA teams just haven't haven't seen a lot of him. You know, like they haven't seen him play well. And when they pull up synergy, it's not going to be super encouraging. But I mean, that's fine. Like you said, there's 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 plenty of time for him. He's only 18 years old. Mm. We talk about that 2022 draft you you dropped last night. Um, one guy who was in there was Dyson Daniels. You ranked him at number 16. Um, and, you know, he's been obviously super impressive over recent times. We saw him in the green and gold in that kind of quasi-international against those those young Kiwis. He played really well. What are your impressions of him at this early stage? He's a really exciting prospect. You know, he's, he's someone that we've actually got to see quite a bit, even in person, because... Um, you know, he was on that um, La Hospitalet team in Barcelona. We saw him in Vegas at the Tarkanian Classic. And he's always been on the radar. You know, being a part of the NBA Academy gives you incredible exposure. You know, you are invited to every tournament the NBA puts on and more. You know, so I think that we're seeing with the way that Josh is playing um, Ben Matherin um, at Arizona, um, there's just a, the list goes on and on of guys um, that um, their alumni are just doing incredibly well. Jonathan um, Chamwa Chachua, you know, winning the national championship at Baylor. So, um, I mean, I just Dyson is the next one, it looks like. And um, I mean, 6'6, six, six, really athletic, very impressive physically, can really defend. Um, good out of a ball screen. He's 6'6, six, six, but he, he's a guard, you know, he can really pass. Um, the shot needs work, but he's a physical guy. You know, he's got some touch on his floater too. He's got some skill. Just really interesting. You know, I think he's um, he's a guy that NBA teams are going to be really excited to watch next year, most likely in the NBL. It sounds like. Yeah, well, he's and he's been playing against kind of bigger, stronger bodies for a period of time now because you know uh, he was playing in the NBL one for Bendigo a couple of seasons ago, um, and I think he was maybe sixteen at the time and he was like their starting point guard week after yeah. week going up against bigger stronger guys at that lower level but incredible for his development i remember you know watching some of his games then and thinking well he, he wasn't doing a lot but he was holding his own 
you know, yeah. physically and and just his skill set was was coming to the fore, just in terms of the ability to hold his own. You, I guess, with the with what's happened with Lamelo, what's happening with Josh Giddy right now, his family being being based in here. I guess your assumption and what you're hearing is that he's most likely going to be a part of the next stars program next season. That's what it sounds like because he's class of 2022 high school wise. So uh, if he did want to go to college, he'd have to wait, um, you know, almost a year and a half, you know? And so this would, if he wanted to be in the 2022 draft, the only way to do it would be to stay in Australia or to stay an international prospect. Whereas if he came to the U S he'd be a 2023 draft prospect. So, um, you know, that's, um, that might be a consideration too. And, you know, um, I mean, I think if you're an elite Australian prospect right now, I think you've got to be looking at the NBL saying, why do I need to go to college when I could be Josh Giddy, you know, and, and be a lottery pick, you know? And so I think that's really compelling, you know, and it's just, it's great to see that these guys have more options now. Uh, you know, because college isn't for everybody. I think it's a great, uh, it's a great platform. It's a great um, development tool, but um, not every kid wants to, you know, wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and go to algebra class. You know, some guys would rather go and get a, uh, a lift in and do, you know, a video session and work with a player development coach, you know, and spend every waking hour working on becoming a professional basketball player, working on your on your craft. And so um, that's why, you know, the G League Ignite is, is, is very attractive, you know, for, for kids here in the U.S. too. And so um, it's just, I think that's, it's been great to see all these opportunities kind of pop up and just give these kids like Dyson Daniels an opportunity to make a choice, you know, where do they want to play? How, what route do they want to take to get to the NBA? Because we know there's not, there's not one path that's best for every kid. We talked about uh, Didi before as a draft and stash next star. Um, the other one, of course, right now is Justinian Jessup with the Illawarra Hawks and the, the Warriors have invested some, some time and, and some money to have um, someone here on the ground over the last few months, keeping a close eye on him. What, what have been your impressions? Like, I, I imagine you've watched him a few times, maybe not a lot, but do you think, I mean, he has a very unique skill set um, is that at a level, do you think, where we're going to see him in an NBA jersey at some point? Uh, no doubt. He could be, you could put him in an NBA game tomorrow and he'd, he'd make shots and he'd make the right play and he'd hold his own defensively. That's been the real revelation is that he's a good defender. You know, like you can put him on smaller guys and he's physical. Um, he's got great size, he's got a great feel for the game. He can play pick and roll. He can shoot from anywhere on the court. Um, you know, I think that's um, he's just made it look really easy. That mm. transition from you know, even coming from college to playing pro, that's not easy for a lot of guys. We've seen a lot of rookies come to the NBL and and get sent on the first plane back. You know, and like he's their best player. You know, so that's um, that's that's really exciting if you're a Golden State Warriors fan. I think. Um, it makes me think, and, and something you said earlier about the focus for NBA teams and executives in evaluating prospects and guys who might be able to come in and help their team, it previously was all about athleticism. 
and that now it's filtered more into like an understanding of the game, a feel for it, those types of things. It makes me think a little bit about John Mooney because whilst Justinian Jessup is a first year pro, so is John Mooney, even though he's not a part of the Next Stars program. Um, but that guy has a real sense for the ball, is an animal on glass, but he just doesn't have that kind of athleticism that you see in front court players. You see in a guy like Will Magne, for example, who's you know, getting some NBA opportunities in recent times. Do, do you have him as a guy who could potentially get there? Or do you look at his skill set and you say, you know what, I'm expecting him to make a great career in Australia, in Europe over the next 10 years? I think he's going to get a lot of looks this summer. I think he'll be a popular guy for teams to invite to mini camps. He's obviously going to be, you know, highly coveted for summer league. People are going to want to take a look at, you know, the season he's having because, you know, he's a double double, you know, every single night. Mm. And, you know, he can shoot the three and he rebounds and he's physical and he's, he's got a good feel. Like you said, I mean, he was a very, very good college player. But to, you know, he kind of did it on a, you know, like a not a winning situation at Notre Dame. People are like, ah, it's like big numbers. And what does it really mean? Because they lose every game in the ACC. But now he's on the best team in the league. Like they're the favorites to win the championship. And he's their second best player, you know, and he's carrying them a lot of nights. And so I think that's, I think that's interesting. I think teams are going to want to look at him and wouldn't shock me if he were on an NBA roster next year. Wildcats fans don't really want to hear that, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's... he has a contract for next year? I don't believe so. No. Yeah, so, I mean, it's tough luck, you know? Like, he's <laughs> going to be in the EuroLeague, you know? So, and he's not in the NBA. He's starting to... He's talking, saying, cheers, big ears. He's using the word bloke in post-game interviews right now. I think Wildcats fans... It. I mean, Bryce Cotton yeah. could be in the EuroLeague, too. I mean, he's turned down a lot of money, you know, mm. like to stay in Perth. And so maybe John Mooney wants to do the same thing. Maybe he can get a passport at some point also. <laughs> you talked about the Summer League. Is the Summer League happening this year? Are we getting together... Uh pull side with Nelly in the background? It's not going to be in the same capacity, but my understanding is that they, they want to have a summer league. Mm. First two weeks of August, something like that. You know, how much media is going to be allowed in? Are there going to be any media whatsoever? It's going to be different because a lot of players are already going to be in Europe or, you know, like, like even like NBL teams, like middle of August, like they want to get their guys in, you know? So, Players are going to have to weigh, do I sign, you know, a, a professional contract for six figures or do I wait for a summer league, you know, opportunity, which is like, it's a, it's a big maybe, you know, like what does that lead to? Usually not very much. So it's going to be interesting to see what the summer league looks like, you know, um, how many teams are they going to have? I'm not sure, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be, you know, uh, the same way it was two, two, three years ago, you know, when we were all hanging out in Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, when you, just to finish up, when you watch NBL games and the NBL season right now, um, you have a great handle on this league, these players, and, and then the transition potentially in through to the draft perhaps, but also through that summer league process as well. Are there guys that, what guys are, are you seeing in the NBL right now who you look at and you go, I'm going to see him in Vegas? later this year you talked about John Mooney as being one of those guys um any young Aussies that you that will we see Will McDowell White back there this year do you think it, which guys do you think might get that kind of look 
I mean, it's a shame about Vic Law because I mean, he was looking like a, a very interesting free agent candidate for NBA teams. I mean, just so versatile. We knew he was, I mean, he's, he's always been a shot maker, you know, at, at Northwestern, but he was just doing everything for, for Brisbane. So it's a shame about the injury, but I mean, that's not, it's not like a career ending injury. He could very well still be in the mix for NBA teams this summer. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Will McDowell White is a guy that you know, like you said, he, people will be looking at him. He's he's still young. I think he just turned 23 years old. I watched that Brisbane game mm. a week or so ago. He had the triple double and like, I mean, just the toughness he was showing. He was pushing people out of the way. He was grabbing rebounds. Uh, he was getting to the rim. He was finishing. You know, I fell in love with Will McDowell White at the Under 17 World Cup. I think it was in. Was it in Dubai or no? That was um, Vasilyevich. It was whatever the one before. It was a long time ago. I'm getting old. I think it was like <laughs> he was 17. Right. He, was even, he was even 16 at this point, and he was just such a talent. You saw the mm. size and the basketball IQ and the versatility. He could do everything, and he kind of lost his path a little bit along the way. And it's good to see this revival that he's having here these past few weeks, just because there's not that many guys who are, you know, six foot five, who can, or legitimate point guards. Um, he's starting to make shots now. He can defend multiple positions. He can play pick and roll. I mean, those guys are, they're, they're hard to find, you know? So is somebody going to, you know, sign him uh, immediately? Probably not, but he'll, if he wants to play summer league, for sure that's going to be there for him, you know, because people are always going to kick the tires on guys like that. I think there's still a lot of upside left for him. Awesome, man. Uh, what about for the title? I know you're keeping a close eye on the league, the breakers. I know you're pulling for the breakers, but they're seven and 14 right now. It's going to be a long way back for them. Melbourne, Perth, who do you think is going to take it out? I'm just, I mean, go with Perth, you know, like they, I mean, the season that they're having and just the culture that they've built. I mean, they have a system, they know how to play it. I mean, if they stay healthy, it's, they're going to be a tough out. Look a little shaky right now with that reliance on Cotton and, and Mooney in particular. Those guys getting a little tired. And Melbourne are rolling right now. Jock Landau's killing. You don't give them a shot? Oh, for sure. I mean, they're the most talented team in the league by far. Mm -hmm. there. And so it's a shame about Jack White. I mean, it was, it was really fun to see, you know, just the season he was having. He's so versatile. He's so good defensively. His basketball IQ is so high. Mm. Um but um, I mean, like Scotty Hobson, I mean, he's obviously a talent in Longdale. And so, I mean, Mitch McCarron and Chris Goulding, I mean, they're loaded. I mean, mm. so, um, I mean, I just, I don't, it doesn't look like they have the chemistry of Perth, you know, so, but we'll see. I mean, it's, there's a long season left and it'll be, it'll be fun. I'm sure it'll be, you know, a, a long series. And well, I mean, I just, for me, it's always like you put your money on the best player and the best player in the league is Bryce Cotton, you know, and he's done it so many times that I wouldn't bet against him. Smart man. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it, man. This has been great. Thanks for having me. Speak again soon.